It's Thursday, August 19th, from The Recount and iHeartRadio. This is the News Items Podcast, which is based loosely on my newsletter, News Items. I'm John Ellis. Today, we bring you part two of my interview with Lisa Bryant, director of the Netflix series, Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. If you haven't heard yesterday's episode, you might want to go back and listen to that one first. It focused on Epstein's life and crimes up until his first conviction in 2008, for which he received the gentlest of sentences, to put it mildly. Today, we pick up with Epstein's release and how a second, tougher case was built against him. Lisa also talks about another figure in this sordid tale, Ghislaine Maxwell, Epstein's alleged co-conspirator whose criminal trial begins in November. Here we go. Lisa, thanks again for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we've already talked about Jeffrey Epstein's first conviction in 2008 and how he more or less got off the hook. So he's out and he's back in the Chevy Suburban and he's back in the plane and he's back on the island. And what sort of broke the case open whilst he was gallivanting about? Who were the people really responsible for phase two, if you will, of the exposing of Jeffrey Epstein? Well, Donald Trump, we know, had an association with him. And it all turned to politics, which is the other money politics, power, they all go together. I think once Alex Acosta was the labor secretary and appointed by Donald Trump, it gave Julie Brown, an investigative reporter at the Miami Herald, the niche that would get people's attention because who doesn't want to talk about Trump and politics? And so it, it became a political story, more right. than a story about sexual abuse, honestly. And that's good and bad, but it did bring back attention on this case and what happened before and the slap on the wrist and the investigation that she did kind of brought attention to it. And the FBI was already checking back into it because there were numerous new complaints. But, you know, again, his team had kind of managed to cover those up Mm -hmm. from the media. You know, with Netflix also working on that, I think for him, the walls were starting to close in. And another hero I want to mention is Bradley Edwards, the attorney who really for 10 years never gave up and was fighting for justice for these women. He was always trying to get the attention, you know, of authorities and trying to get answers. How did this happen? How did he get this jail sentence? Right, in 2008. How did you not go with this 53-page indictment? And he was always, you know, really not giving up. And I I think that was also a key that once the story kind of broke open, I mean, it was so shocking. When the world starts taking notice, Epstein had to know that maybe his days were numbered. It, It is surprising, though, that he came home from Paris, where he seemed to be hiding out. Like, I guess he didn't know they were that close to him, you know, because he was still running around doing his thing and abusing women. That leads to the question of one of the hardest things to do in a story like this is to get the cooperation of the victims. Right. You put yourself out there and that just brings on all manner of stuff, you know, who wants that in your life? It's just too, it's just too much. How did you get them to cooperate? How did you earn their trust, I guess, is the right question. Yeah, it was earning their trust. We started eight months before he was even arrested, and it was extremely difficult. I had a number of meetings and, no, thank you. Why do I need to open that up? My family doesn't even know. But gradually, over time, 
we were able to get a couple women to go on camera. And then after his arrest, then women started coming out in, I won't say droves, but certainly uh, they came forward and it became much easier. But I will tell you that nobody wants to talk about this, you know, then or now, really. Anybody that knew him, I didn't know him and they ran for the hills, you know, the minute this was arrested, you know, I don't know why my name is in the black book. You know, it's just, it's shameful, really. And it makes it very hard as a documentary filmmaker to tell a story when you don't have people willing to go on camera. Nobody's trying to condemn them. Just tell us what you know. Or, you know, if you didn't know anything, say that. But, you know, people are dying to know details. What's he like? How did he do this? Or, you know, even if you didn't know anything, that's fine. Just tell us what he was like. How did he manipulate people? What was his personality like? But it was very, very difficult and very, very few people were brave enough to come forward aside from the victims um, and the victims themselves. Again, it's about trust. That was the main goal, I think, in my filmmaking with Filthy Rich is to finally give the women their say. That's the main thing they wanted so badly is just listen to me, believe my story. Now everybody knew that this was real that this abuse was real. So are you still in touch uh, with these women? Are you maintaining sort of an ongoing relationship conversation about her role and stuff? I mean, you know, I, I really am. And it's, it's so interesting because many of these women come from backgrounds where they don't have great support. I almost have been a surrogate mother to two or three. There's two or three that I do communicate with regularly who feel like I can give them good advice. They had a fight with their mother or their boyfriend or whatever. And just being there for them, I feel, I feel, you know, honored to have met them and to, to, to gain their trust. So there are women that I feel actually very close to, and I'm so proud of all of them for, for speaking out. And I stay in touch almost with all of them just to check in every now and then on how they're doing. And I think it's important that they, you know, feel that they have support especially as this Maxwell opens up all these old wounds, this trial coming up, you know, Epstein, his situation, basically when he, when he committed suicide, it sort of died down there for a minute. Now, of course, the focus was then on the next big fish. And finally, a year later, she was arrested and it brings just back all these memories and triggers for these women. So it's a lifelong healing process for them. And I think all of this is very painful, but they really, really do want to see justice done. And you know, if that's through her, if that's through some of these other co-conspirators, that is what they want. That's through you too, right? I mean, I definitely. So I'm convinced that Epstein did not commit suicide. Let me put it that way. Do you have a view of that? You know, I think there's certainly lots of reasons that people would want him dead. I also think there's a reason that he would want himself dead. He, he the, the gig was up, you know, right. he knew he'd never have his sex every day in that jail and that he was never going to go back to his gilded cage in that big mansion and live the life that he used to live. However, I think there's a lot of questions that are valid about the coincidences that happened, you know, while he was in jail, the jailers falling asleep mysteriously, the cameras are not working. So I think there's a decent chance. Will we ever know the answer? I don't know, but I think there's a decent chance that he was allowed to commit suicide. You know, right. he paid people up to let him commit suicide, or he was threatened by these powerful people. If you don't commit suicide, we're going to kill you. You know, I'm not sold really either way. I think there are arguments for both, but I do think it's likely, even if he did commit suicide, that he was allowed to commit suicide. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Lisa Bryant. 
So he commits suicide or, or is allowed to commit suicide or is killed, whatever happened. There's then a period where Maxwell is where? She, she just like disappears. She's technically, a lot of people like to say, oh, she's on the run and she's in hiding. I think she, you know, really my research shows that she and her team were in fairly constant communication with authorities, but she definitely was in hiding from the media, I think more so than anything, because obviously they tracked her and arrested her. She had many opportunities to leave the country and numerous passports, but she did not. There were lots of, whether they were real or fake sightings, there was rumors she was in Israel one time spotted in a submarine at an, in an outburger in LA. I think potentially the LA sighting was, was real, but who knows about any of the others. Truth is, she was found in New Hampshire, tucked away in this place called Tucked Away. Um, she wasn't pleased and tried to kind of hide within that house for a few minutes from the FBI. She had this cell phone all wrapped in foil. And I think she was prepared uh, to some extent that the arrest was going to come at some point. But I think she was caught off guard when it did. And she, I think, like Epstein, think they have, you know, based on people I've talked to, based on things I've read and police reports, both of them felt like, and she still feels like she's above the law and done nothing wrong. There, There's this sense of we were doing these women a favor. They had no money. We provided them with a life that they never could have had without it. They enjoyed it. Well, again, you look at these underage women and it, there's just, it's, it's illegal. So right. I think that this feeling that they're above the law and she still feels that she is above the law and that she is going to escape these charges. I think she generally feels that she's innocent. And I, they think times were different back then. This was prior to me too. And it's not unusual to see a politician with a 16 year old on her arm. It's been accepted. And you know what? There's some truth to that. It's, it, it almost was an accepted behavior many years ago. It, nothing to this extent, but you know, 20 years ago, who knows how things could have changed if the Me Too movement had happened then. But I do think that she's going to fight these tooth and nail and, and we'll see. And they've tried numerous ways to get the charges dropped. Well, Bill Cosby, you know, he had a non-prosecution agreement. The charges were dropped against him. They don't apply to her. Judges already ruled that. That is not going to happen to her. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different situation. Does she have the sort of level of attorneys that Epstein did? I mean, the, like the highest price, most aggressive. She pretty most... much has, yeah, she does have very high. Yeah, I mean, they aren't, you know, your, your, your Ken Starr or whatever, the, maybe the names you've heard, but they are definitely, you know, very, very good attorneys. She, she brought recently on uh, Bobby Stenham, who was involved in the Osama bin Laden mm -hmm. case. And she has high powered attorneys and very high priced attorneys as well. How does she pay for them? Well, it's, that, that's very interesting. And I think that's part of the reason she's not getting bail is that she's not been very honest with her finances. You know, that's another main complaint that the Maxwell team has is, this, well, Weinstein got bail pending trial and, and, and Cosby got bail pending trial, but they didn't have a bazillion passports. They didn't have this money like that appears one day and has been moved around. You know, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the truth that she brought immediately upon her arrest. All of a sudden, we learned she was married. It's like, what? You know, and there's no, there's no, no marriage license. So there was a lot of mistruths. And I think that and the fact that Epstein got away, I, I think they do have a, somewhat of an argument that there, there is a little bit more, you know, pressure on them to protect her as they did not protect Epstein. They want to see her go to trial. But 
The bottom line is, if you're not honest, they aren't going to trust you. And she's a major flight risk. Right. She's seen as a major flight risk, and she's been denied bail five times. So I would think it's safe to say she will not get bail before her trial, which has now been pushed to uh, mid-November. And that's a question I have is the speedy trial. Everybody's entitled to a speedy trial. What's taking so long, I guess? Well, for her, she was charged about a year ago. She was arrested almost exactly a year ago. The trial was supposed to happen, and she was hit very late with a a superseding indictment of more serious, even than the charges before, two extra sex trafficking charges, another victim, a 14-year-old girl. And they just claimed that they didn't have enough time to prepare because that came nine months into her, you know, already jail time. So they said they didn't have enough time. So it will be, let's see, 15 months. Is that a speedy trial? I guess that depends who you ask, right? But but her attorneys have asked for the extra time. Right. So it's her. Which um, I think is fair. And we shall see. There's going to actually possibly be two trials, the criminal trial. And then part of the original um, charges, there were two perjury charges that involved a deposition. She gave a woman named Virginia Dufresne in a lawsuit that you know, she's she's a key figure in this Virginia Dufresne. She's not one of the criminal case victims, but she is involved in the fact that she sued Ghislaine for defamation in twenty sixteen and this deposition she's alleged to have perjured herself. All the criminal charges are gonna happen first and, and the perjury case will happen or perjury trial will happen later, but I have a feeling she's convicted on the early ones, they'll just drop the perjury charges. But we shall see. Right. It remains to be seen. Is there a part two for you on this, or are you done at Filthy Rich? Well, Filthy Rich is done, but I, I will say that, that I am involved in a new project that focuses on Ghislaine. So it's uh, it's it's been a long uh, couple of years, I will say, uh, of, of this, <laughs> but it's uh, hopefully it's just shedding light on a topic that is so important. We were rolling along, and, and now we're like in a bit of a holding pattern due to the trial push. But um, this is going to be the Ghislaine Maxwell story, and it's it's really going to try to get an, understand who this woman is. Female predators, accused sexual predators, are so rare. Certainly, what was going on psychologically, what were the grooming tactics, how did this operation work, You know, what role did she really have? Does it trace back to her father and the way she was raised? Her father's story is fascinating. We'll be focusing quite a bit on on that. He was a media mogul, uber wealthy, and then he ended up stealing four hundred million dollars in in his, his own company's pension funds. So he's got a, a very you know tainted background. Died mysteriously. We'll draw similarities in in Epstein's story and her father's story, Epstein's story, and her own story. So we're in production. <laughs> I think the Maxwell story is every bit as interesting as the Epstein story. I mean, the the father, it was the Daily News pension fund, right, that he just completely emptied, essentially? Well, it was the Daily Mirror. Daily Mirror, right. He did buy the Daily News, but he had a, a big group, the Mirror Group, which had a number of papers over there. He was always kind of in a rivalry with Rupert Murdoch, so he finally kind of outbid him for the New York Daily News, and that was just shortly before his death. But yes, her story is, I think, more fascinating, actually, because... You don't expect this of a woman. And right. if it all proves to be true, I think it's going to be a fascinating trial, I do I do believe. I, I, again, can't say enough about these brave accusers who will publicly come forward and, and testify against her and tell their stories in a court of law. So it will be very interesting um, to see what happens and how it plays out. 
but these are very old cases. So they're going to rely, the Maxwell's are going to rely on the fact that these cases are so old and might've fallen under old statutes. And right. they're going to try to rip the credibility down of these girls, which in this day and age is, I don't think it's going to go over very well, but I don't know that they have a choice, but to do all of these things in an effort to, you know, save Ghislaine's skin. All right, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back with Lisa Bryant. In New York, when I was starting out in New York, the single scariest thing it was said was that Robert Morgenthau, the Manhattan DA, was on line two. And I imagine that if Lisa Bryant is on line two, a lot of people don't take the call. Are you having difficulty getting people to talk for the Maxwell story? More so. Yeah. I think even more so because now it's been revealed how, just how horrific Epstein was. And if she's associated with him, it even, you know, makes it worse. People are going on camera, but it's very hard to get really close to the people who might have, have really known. And it's too bad because that could help put these other people behind bars who were enablers or complicit or just whether they go are convicted of anything. It's just, it, it, this would help put the puzzle pieces together. There's so many unknowns and really just, I think, right. continue to unfold slowly, but surely for years, unless she rolls over to save, maybe shave off 10 years or so of her, you know, jail sentence or whatever, and cuts a plea and gives up a bunch of information. But her attorneys are going to try everything. And there's been talk of a plea deal for a long time. I originally thought she was going to take a plea deal, but now I really feel like she's going to go to trial and it will be very interesting. That's the big question, right? I mean, in, in theory, knowing, as she must know, that conviction is all but certain. Well, she's the gatekeeper of a lot of information and um, certainly she knows that, everyone knows that, but is she going to roll the dice that there's going to be a technicality or that they are going to be able to tear down these women enough that a couple of jurors disbelieve them. I think at this point, she's willing to roll the dice rather than cut a deal because I think people like her and her father and Epstein, they don't admit any wrongdoing, you know? Well, thanks, Lisa, for sharing your insights on this story. People who haven't seen it should go to Netflix and just search Filthy Rich, four-part documentary that is riveting. Thanks again, Lisa, for joining us. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for tuning into the News Items podcast. Again, if you haven't heard part one of my interview with Lisa, you can find it just previous to this episode in your podcast feed. The News Items podcast is based on my newsletter, which is available at newsitems.substack.com. News Items is produced by Christian castro Russell, Pierre Bienname. Allie Rogers, and Megan Burney. Our theme music was composed by Billy Libby, and our recording engineer was Ben McNamara. See you next week.